Welcome to All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time. Our podcast offers friendly conversations with inspiring individuals in the autism community. All Autism Talk is brought to you by Learn Behavioral and the Learn Provider Network. Now, here's your host. Hi, everybody. Welcome to All Autism Talk. I'm your host, Katherine Johnson. Russell Lehman is a motivational speaker and poet, contextualizing autism, mental health, disabilities, and the overall human condition. Russell showed signs of autism as a newborn. However, he was not formally diagnosed until the age of 12, after suffering through five weeks in a lockdown psychiatric facility. Russell's work has taken him all over the world, from London to Dubai to Helsinki, spreading hope, awareness, and compassion in a raw and dynamic fashion, while also setting his sights on erasing the stigma and stereotypes that come with having a disability. At the end of our last interview, Russell and I got into a discussion about the importance of words, and we were talking specifically about the use of the words high and low functioning as relates to autism. But there were other words he had strong feelings about as well, so we knew that this was going to be our next topic. In today's conversation, Russell shares his thoughts on things to consider when talking about autism. Hello again, Russell. Hi, Catherine. It's nice to be with you. Oh, it's so good to see you. And I had such a good time chatting with you last week. Um, and there were so many things that we didn't get to. So I'm really glad we get another shot. Likewise. Yeah, it's great to be back with you. And I enjoyed last time. Going to enjoy this time. Awesome. Since we're focusing on language and words around autism, um, I wanted to bring up something that we didn't get to last time which is that I understand that you call yourself a self-advocate, or sorry, people call you a self-advocate, but you don't consider yourself a self-advocate. Mm-hmm. And I'm so curious, what, why is that? Yeah, I think, uh, I, I think I'm kind of in an unusual position where I don't advocate for myself publicly. Obviously in my personal life, we all are self-advocates, right? Um, but again, I take terms very literally because that's how my mind works, right? Being autistic. I, uh, my, my professional career, um, I'm not advocating for myself, you know, I'm kind of telling uh, what, what can improve in society from my past experiences, obviously using my lived experience, but I really advocate for systems change and, and structural revamping of the supports that are in place and, and unfortunately not in place. So I would like to think that if I'm doing a, a good job at my job, that I'm advocating for others who, who don't have my platform because it, it's easy for me to self-advocate, um, but other people, it's not as easy because they don't have my platform. So when I hear people call me a self-advocate, it, I feel like it, they're making it about me and it's not, it, it's about other people. It's yeah, again, my lived experience, my perspective, my lessons learned insights gained, but the fire inside me is not to advocate for myself. It's not to share my story. It's to speak for others because I know what it's like to kind of be forgotten by this world. And I don't want to speak for them, but until the world remembers that there are people out there who are still struggling, I'm, I'm going to give them a voice and a platform. Um, and so I feel like it's an obligation and it's not something I do just because I have to self-advocate for myself. That's really beautiful. Thank Can you. you tell me as a poet, what, why does language matter so much? Uh, I mean, that's how we communicate, right? I mean, that's how we communicate. We're very instinctual uh, creatures and whether we are cognizant of it or not, words really do matter. And a lot of the times we put too much meaning behind words. And at other times we don't put enough meaning behind words. And we use meaning uh, a lot of words too often that they 
almost lose their meaning. Um, and so I, I think words are extremely important. And obviously uh, I have autism and that makes me very sensitive. Words uh, hurt me more than sticks and stones, right? Uh, I would rather get hit with a stick than have some bad words said of me. So words are extremely important. And A, not only, again, moving the dialogue forward and how to improve our society, but B, in our day-to-day -day lives, especially when you have a communication disability such as autism, words are extremely important, whether it's the spoken word, the written word, or the, you know, the converted word, however you communicate. It's very important that we choose the right words, especially when we uh, talk about delicate subjects such as autism and everything that, that falls underneath it. Well, some of those terms that I think um, people use sometimes not realizing how hurtful they can be um, are those distinctions between high functioning and low functioning. And I'm and this is used, I think, throughout disability, but I think it is it is really often used uh, in the autism world because there are people who have really um, you know splinter skills. They have really, really wonderful skills in some areas and need a lot of support in other areas. And there is this shorthand um, that we're using, you know, that people use that someone is high functioning or low functioning. Mm -hmm. And I think that people, I think it seems obvious that, you know, lo low functioning, calling someone low functioning could be really hurtful because, you know, your low functioning kind of connotes that you have low expectations for them, um, which is ultimately harmful and, and, you know, doesn't recognize their own human potential. Um, can you talk a little bit about how high functioning could also be harmful? Yeah, I think, uh, I think A, it's a good idea not to talk about functioning levels unless you're talking about yourself, right? Too often when I tell somebody I have autism, they say, oh, you must be high functioning then. Um, how, they just met me, you know, I, they don't know how I function. <laughs> they don't know what it was like, you know, an hour before I left the house to get to where I told them I had autism, right? Uh, a lot of my quote unquote, low functioning is behind the scenes. But I, I think, you know, again, it, it's uh, kind of a, a lack of our a lack of awareness on our ignorance that we have this arrogance to, you know, tell other people how they function when we like we just first met them. Right. Um, so high functioning and when not, people call me high functioning, uh, I guess I take it as a backhanded compliment because it doesn't validate everything that they do not see. I would rather them to actually say, oh, are you low functioning? Because that would actually give me more validation behind my struggle and suffering. And, you know, I used to be very low functioning. Again, I think functioning terms are very uh, appropriate if you're speaking about your own life. Um, but if you put it on other people, that's where it's inappropriate. Because, again, like I, I barely understand my functioning. So how am I going to ever understand somebody else's? So I think, again, we just kind of generalize too much. Uh, when it comes to terminology, uh, whether that's a functioning label or other uh, words that have connotations behind them, because again, no two humans are alike, no two humans with autism are alike. And I often say I, I can very easily excel at the extraordinary, but severely struggle with the simple. Um, you know, I, I can travel all the way around the world by myself, give a speech in front of thousands of people. Uh, I, I can do all of those amazing things, but sometimes, you know, I, I can't even go to the grocery store. So, it's all about, you know, the polarities of, of functioning at my highest and functioning at my lowest and finding a middle ground and realizing that, yeah, some days are going to be better than others. And that's OK. And on the bad days, you know, they're, they're just as beautiful as the good days if you can look in the right uh, right places. Yeah, when it comes down to it, it feels like, I mean, language in general is sort of, you know, a, a symbol for something. Mm -hmm. um, but when we come up with these terms that, um, you know, sort of are supposed to encompass 
these large groups of people, mm-hmm. it's a shortcut. It's sort of shorthand for like, this person's like this, or this person can, can do these things, or they can't do these things. Mm-hmm. And a side effect of that is that it leads people to make assumptions, right? And having assumptions made about you mm-hmm. um, in any direction can just feel completely invalidating. Exactly. I, love your, I feel like that's such a great rule of thumb to like not label anyone high functioning or low functioning, mm-hmm. except for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. I mean, because we all know what we're capable of. So we know when we're having a low functioning day or not. But to, to again, to put that on somebody else, especially when you just meet them for the first time, right? It again, uh, you, I, you took the word out of my mouth, it's assuming. And when you, even presuming, even when there's a little bit of context to go off of, even mm-hmm. presumptions are, are dangerous as well. Because again, if we use them without thinking, that's how stigmas and stereotypes develop. And that, that develops unconsciously throughout uh, you know, societal dialogue. I think um, my first experience with this related to disability um, was that, well, it started out when I was young, I had a neighbor who we called autistic. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, this is an autistic man. He lived, he had very few words. He lived with his parents. Um, and then when I was in college and I became a special ed major for a short time, um, I had, I took a course with a professor who introduced me to the concept of person first versus person first language. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh my gosh, all my life I've been calling this man this neighbor autistic and I shouldn't have been doing that. I should have been saying he's a man with autism because you know it was like this light bulb hit me. Oh, I was really just talking about his label, his diagnosis all, all this time. And so it makes so much more sense that I'm going to that he's he's not his label, he's a man and he has autism. And that is then throughout like all of my this is in the early 90s and then throughout the majority of my adult life that was my mindset. And now, you know, a few years ago, this, you know, this whole neurodiversity movement started, um, started taking us in a different direction and talking mm-hmm. about how, um, you know, sort of reclaiming that word autistic and saying, why would you shy away from using this word to describe mm-hmm. me? I, this is who I am and I'm proud of it. Mm-hmm. How does this, how did this fit into your story or your identity? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I don't think, uh, like, and again, like a lot of people choose like I, autism as their identity and that, that even in and of itself, using the word identity is a slippery slope because I think, um, you know, it's not so much an identity as a disability. Uh, I, I don't consider autism to be part of my identity. And oftentimes I don't really care what people call me. You know, the only thing that, sounds bad not that i don't like people calling me it because if they think anybody i always tell people like call me whatever you want you know just use respect right like just be respectful like i don't care what you call me i would like to be called russell first and foremost but aside from that whether it's a individual with autism whether it's on the spectrum whether it's autistic whether it's neurodiverse i don't really care i think you know um even uh disabled is the one word that sounds weird because it sounds like a piece of equipment, like you are disabled. But other than that, again, people uh, usually have good intentions when they use words. And I try to be one of those people who, you know, is patient with people who are trying to use the correct terminology, because let's be honest, it's confusing for me out there to figure out what to call people on the spectrum. 
So I, I don't adhere to any um, label or identity. I, I feel like, you know, autism is definitely a big part of my life, but um, is it necessarily a part of my identity? I don't, I don't think so. I don't think it is, you know, and maybe that's because I have more self-discovery to do, but I think uh, again, we put too much energy behind, uh, you know, really being all or nothing when it comes to certain terms. You know, there, when I post about my experiences on social media, though, there will be comments saying, oh, Russell, don't refer to yourself that way, as if I'm insulting myself or something. And, um, you know, I used to respond to them and let them know that, yo, it, it, like, it doesn't matter. Like, I, I love myself. I don't care, like, how I refer to myself. But, um, it, it's, we get caught in the weeds there and we get stuck staring at the weeds because, uh, you know, it, it's an interesting topic, but at the same time, is it really moving us forward as a, a community? I actually think it's kind of ripping us apart in certain areas because there's a lot of infighting and a lot of, uh, you know, don't call me that, call me this. And, you know, no two people are the same, like I said earlier. So there's going to be people who prefer different things. And we just have to keep that in mind. I, again, you know, uh, we can't assume that everybody's going to be enjoyed uh that everyone's going to enjoy being called autistic um you know we just have to you know look at the human like you said look at the human behind the label and call them by name and if they want to be called a, a certain term you know, then they'll let you know hopefully in a respectful manner yeah definitely um you brought up the word neurodivergence mm -hmm. or neurodivergent what what are your thoughts on um people identifying as neurodivergent or um, neurodivergence just sort of like as a concept. Yeah, it, it really makes things a lot more confusing. You know, I don't know what it means. I don't like when somebody comes up to me and says I'm neurodiverse or neurodivergent, uh, I, I don't know what they're trying to tell me, like to be a little bit more specific, right? It's a very vague term. And although probably 90% of the time it usually refers to being on the spectrum, you know, there are times where if it is referring to just some spectrum, why don't you just say that, right? Like why create a word? Uh, again, it just muddies the water. There's another term out there that means the same thing as basically autism, yet it's uh, somewhat taboo to use it and not use it in certain situations. So I think, again, if I'm to uh, think literally neurodiversity for me, I mean, that, that means mental health, mental illness. That means, you know, uh, everybody, everybody. So, I mean, it really doesn't narrow <laughs> the spectrum of autism down at all. So like when I, if nobody, if, if somebody's not familiar with autism and somebody comes up to them and starts talking about neurodiversity, that person is just going to get more confused, unfortunately. So I like to stick to the basics. I'm old school. You know, I just usually say autism because that's the word everybody knows. And unless you're in the community, I doubt you've heard neurodiverse. And if you have, you probably just don't remember you've heard it. So, you know, I think, again, we have to choose our words carefully because the more we use words that are not as well known, the more confusing it gets for people when we do try to spread that authentic awareness about what autism encompasses. you why I like the word neurodiversity, which is because I, I've used it in talking to my son mm -hmm. um, about how his brain works. And he's very into science. So he's familiar with the concept of biodiversity. 
and how biodiversity is essential for life to kind of continue on and to improve. Mm -hmm. um, and so being able to kind of, you know, put that term in parallel to biodiversity and saying, you know, it's not that your brain is, is inferior to anyone's. It is different. And is it hard being having a brain that's different? Yeah, it is but not because there's anything wrong with your brain. It's sort of like your brain is not wired for the way that our society is set up. Mm -hmm. um, but in general, the fact that brains are different and the fact that you have a different brain, it means that you can solve problems that other people can't solve. Yeah. You can you know, approach the world in a different way or from a different angle. Mm -hmm. And that's you know, pretty hellish when you're 12. Um, but when you're an adult, you know, it can really open up some new worlds and, and be and be fantastic. Absolutely. And yeah, I, I, I want to make clear, like I have no problem with the term. What I have an issue with is people replacing other words with the term. Right. Because, yeah, like diversity, we all want to be diverse and diversity of mind is, you know, very well studied throughout human history. And we should embrace that. That minds are diverse. Brains are diverse. But when we start to again, use it as a placeholder for words that we are trying to shy away from because of stigma such as autism, that's where, you know, it, it really, I, I don't think it's really making the most of what we're trying to do. But yeah, if you're using it to describe a situation, yeah, it, it's a very good word. Um, but unfortunately, again, it's being used so much that it's kind of taking the place of autism, which is, you know, uh, again, like I said earlier, too many terms will make the lay person confused when they, it's time for them to become more aware about it. Yeah. And, you know, you just brought up a really good point, which is that, um, you know, if you're using it to replace a word, if you're using it to sort of like soften a term mm -hmm. um, or because you think a word is taboo, um, then you're just sort of like dealing with euphemisms and you're kind of like basically saying that, you know, the word that you're avoiding is mm -hmm. somehow shameful. Exactly. Um, I feel that way sometimes about the word special, mm -hmm. special needs, special mm -hmm. education. Mm -hmm. um, and I don't think I would feel that way if they, if everything was labeled special needs or special education outside of what's in that sort of like middle of the bell curve, mm -hmm. but it's not, it's only, it's only um, in one direction yeah. that it's special, you know, yeah. when you have gifted kids and gifted education, you don't call that special education. Yeah. I know, I know. And it's intriguing because, yeah, special, you know, in the a long time ago, they used to just call kids special. Oh, he's special. And like, oh, bless his heart. Right. But all just like it was a euphemism for unfortunately being disabled. And uh, I, uh, I yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the same um, boat with you on, on that term as much as, again, literally special needs isn't that bad because I do have special needs. You're right. It does inadequately get thrown into the the bottom of the bin, so to speak, and then it's gifted for the other side of the spectrum. So, yeah, it's uh, interesting how words in and of themselves can like be accurate. But again, let's realize the connotations behind them, how they're used, when they're used and to who we're talking about when we're using these words, because a lot of these terms, I think, could be generalized more and more onto everybody. Again, like neurodiversity. Right. We if, we use that, uh, if we can use that uh, intelligently, we could use neurodiversities to start eradicating, you know, stigmas around mental illness, you know, bring that under the umbrella, because obviously individuals with autism have a higher likelihood of having a mental illness as well. So if we use terms correctly, such as special, um, and kind of 
use it as a blanket for both ends of the spectrum, I, I have no problem with it. But yeah, when it gets lumped into, you know, those with autism or disabilities being term coined uh, or termed special, then, you know, you got to figure out, uh, you know, what to do with that word. Uh, again, can we remove the stigma? And if not, what word can we slowly replace it with, but not too quickly again, because we don't want to confuse people. Are there any particular terms that are a pet peeve for you that you sort of wish weren't in existence or wish people use differently? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, probably my biggest pet peeve is me being called a self-advocate, right? But we've already talked about that and the, the reason behind that's kind of a pet peeve of mine. Um, this never, it never used to, inclusion, you know, it never used to be a pet peeve of mine, but it has been recently. Um, you know, it's just... Uh, inclusion, inclusion, inclusion. And we focus so much on the end result of inclusion. And we talk about so much, we talk so much about the end result of inclusion. We rarely talk about the steps needed to get there. And we act like we can force inclusion when inclusion naturally takes place when you take the correct steps to get there, right? It's, it's a destination. You can't just like shortcut to the destination, right? It's a slow, long process. And when we throw around the word inclusion, Again, there's a lot of corporations out there, a lot of school districts who will include individuals who don't necessarily even want to be included. Again, we're losing the humanity behind the term. Let's let's prioritize these individuals. Let's use person-centered practices and ask them, A, do you want to be included? B, how would you like to be included? And C, do you even feel included when you are included? Those things, what we think, what we know, what we feel are very important, but often we just say the word inclusion and we don't take into account how the person thinks, feels, and knows about the situation that is supposedly including them. I love that you bring up the, the, that really, really important piece of the fact that the most important part of quote unquote inclusion is that the person themselves is feeling a part of whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, the thing that I hate about inclusion is I feel like that word assumes segregation. Mm. Like why, why do we have to have a word yeah. for having two humans sort of being in the same group or, you know, having, having a friendship or being in the same classroom or mm. um, it, it just sort of like, is that underlying ableism of our society that, you know, well, the natural order of things is that, you know, you're with all the people that are just like you. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and, and, and in this, in this instance, it's like, you know, you're with the people that have the same types of abilities mm -hmm. and the people who have this type of struggle are over here. And we have to have a word for when they come together. Um, we're just all humans. Yeah, I know. I know. We, 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 I mean, again, words are, are powerful. We unconsciously stick to them to try to make sense out of a very complicated situation. That's why we come up with words to try to explain what the hell is going on. Right. And when you have different populations that learn and behave and communicate in varying ways, I, you know, we, we came up with this word inclusion as almost a bandaid of sorts, but we're realizing more and more that this Band-Aid kind of just keeps falling off and the wound is still there. So like, let's forget about the Band-Aid and just start, try to focus on the wound. Well, what is the wound? Like for me, there were times growing up in school where I was in a, on, in a desk in the corner of the room by myself and the rest of the class was in the group, right? Now, face value, that might seem like I'm not being included, but that felt like I was being included because I wanted to gently immerse myself. I didn't want to go like, dive headfirst into the group, right? I wanted to slowly acclimate myself to the group setting. So again, it's not like 
being uh, not being included is a bad thing. What's bad is including someone when they don't feel included. So again, it all goes boils down to, is this something you want? And I think, again, we focus so much on inclusion and, you know, there's a lot of good intentions out there, but a lot of people, let's be honest, especially corporations, they put these inclusion policies in place just to look good. They don't really, <laughs> there's a few select people on the teams, but the higher ups, you know, they usually put these policies together to just have it, right? Have a policy about it. Not that it's actually working or making things any better. At times it can make things a lot worse, again, because we focus on the word instead of the human behind the word we're trying to help with. You always paint such a beautiful picture with your words and your metaphors. And it reminds me again to ask you, do you have a spoken word poem that sort of relates to either your identity or words about autism or abilities that you'd like to share? Yeah, I have a, a spoken word poem. I'll do the one about school. You know, I, uh, I'll, I'll do the one about, um, and this was uh, about kind of, it, it's an overview of when I was not included. Um, yeah, and it's called, What Does It Feel Like to Not Be Heard? All right. Thank you. What does it feel like to not be heard? A penny for my thoughts? I'm the one who has to pay the cent. A cold ear was what I bought. Now all my pennies have been spent. I have so much to say, but no one will hear. I'm regarded as the reflection of Dracula in the mirror. I'm not there. So I just disappear into my mind, or at least my thoughts are sincere. What does it feel like to not be heard? It cuts deeper than the slur of any derogatory word. To be observed yet deferred only exacerbates the hurt. I deserve to be heard. Now I'm starting to sound absurd. I'm told that I am lazy that I want no part of school, that I'm acting a fool. This drives me crazy. All I need is some help, a friendly outreach of a hand. But the only hand I was dealt was that no teacher gave a damn. Kind of just, uh, yeah. I mean, it was, uh, school for me was very traumatic, unfortunately. And uh, even though there were some great uh, things that happened along the way, for the most part, Again, a lot of my pain was derived from people probably, I would like to think, having good intentions, but not seeing me. They, they, you know, they saw that weird kid. They saw that weird autistic kid. They saw that weird kid who wouldn't make eye contact. So they assumed, right, that I was, you know, not wanting to communicate when I just didn't know how. So um, unfortunately, again, when we focus on words, when we focus on terms, when we focus on any type of label, even if it's just how someone looks, that is a physical visual label, um, we lose sight of the humanity and you can't see humanity. That's why it brings us all together, right? It's, it's inside us, our human essence is what connects us all, but you can't see it. So oftentimes what you do not see is much more important than what you do. And we always need to remember that. So is there anything that you, any tips or any guidelines that you would give to our listeners in terms of, you know, how, how to speak about these things, particularly when encountering someone who's got aut autism? Yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, if you don't know, ask, right? Asking is always the best policy. You know, if, if I'm struggling, instead of somebody saying, what can I do to help you? If they can say, how can I help? You know, that, that, that helps um just in and of itself when you're talking to somebody you might not know how to refer to them you can just you know ask them right it, it, it might be a little too intimate of, for you to ask them especially if you're just meeting them but you know what else are you going to do it's confusing times out there you can also preface it by saying correct me if i'm wrong or if i 
mean, if I offend you, I, I mean no offense. I'm new to this. I'm learning. Preface that you are learning. But again, you have to be aware that you're learning. And a lot of times, unfortunately, we just say things without realizing, again, the importance behind what we're saying, either in a good or bad way. I, I just think to be completely honest, you know, if you can be completely honest and respectful at the same time, um, you're probably going to offend people, but that's not on you, right? That's not on you. As long as you cl communicate clearly that you are learning, what you say might not be the right thing. Um, you want to make it individualized. Again, just if you can remember to see the human behind that, I, I have a feeling that we would all ask a lot more questions if we saw the humans in front of us rather than what we conjure up in our head through conceptions. Really well said. And it reminds me that, um, you know, we were talking a little bit before about how, you know, these discussions about words can be really divisive and there can be, you know, um, it, it can create a lot of fear about having these conversations. But I do think that the vast majority of folks are, are excited to share their own preference, their own identity, um, if, if it's approached in a way that's really sincere and open. Um, and so even though we do sort of see this divisiveness at times, I also think that just when we are able to have the conversation and like you said, see the person um, behind the issue mm -hmm. of, of language or, or what it, whatever it is you're discussing about preference or identity, if you're seeing the person and listening to their perspective, um, these conversations are actually really, really useful and in helping us understand one another and kind of moving forward in um, this momentum that sort of seems like it is, is picking up steam for, uh, you know, this dismantling of ableism in our society, fingers crossed, knock wood. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, if we can all just be a little bit more open to, you know, that vulnerable dialogue and realize again that as much as we like to think we know about our own lives that we can't necessarily generalize that over, I think, you know, what better way to come together than through our differences. That's what makes a community, right? That's what makes diversity is through the differences. And I think, um, you know, there's no better feeling for me to agree with someone that I previously disagreed with or to disagree with somebody who I very much respect, right? That, that kind of contradictory communication, like if you don't like somebody, but you agree with them, or if you like somebody, but you disagree with them, that shows you have a flexible mind and you're open-minded and you, you're not generalizing things. So it, it, we gotta be aware of our rigidity of thoughts because again, um, we tend to agree with those we like and automatically disagree with those we don't like when in actuality, again, we all have a lot in common. It's just uh, we have to get under the cover, so to speak, through that intimate, vulnerable dialogue. You have such a way with language. Thank you. I appreciate Thank it. I appreciate it. It's uh, It's been a long journey. I never used to speak this way, honestly. I think, uh, you know, um, even last year, I don't think I, I spoke quite as well. I think, you know, nurturing my passion and really just following my bliss, as Joseph Campbell would say, I feel that if you can follow your heart, if you can follow your bliss, uh, that's pure liberation. It doesn't mean you're always going to feel liberated, um, but it's it's the pursuit of it, right? You may not ever, ever get total liberation, but much like the pursuit of happiness, you know, we can pursue certain things in life. And if you can follow your heart, you're pursuing that liberation and there's no better way to self-empowerment than to do what you love to do. And that's what I love to do is speak, uh, is communicate, because I know what it's like, apropos to the poem, what it feels like to not be heard. Well, like I said, about 12 years old, it can be held, but 
you get to your age and what a gift you have to share with the world. And we're all so lucky to be able to, uh, to finally see you and hear you and hear your words. And I think it's, it really is an incredible gift. Thank you. Thank you, Catherine. It, it, it really does mean a lot because it's, uh, you know, it, it is, you know, whether it's me at age 12, uh, 15, 21 or 31 now or in the future when I'm 40 or 50, it'll always be a struggle. Right. But I, I think, you know, life may not get easier, but it does get better. It, that that fulfillment meter gets filled a little bit each more, the, at least from my perspective. But that's, again, only because I stay true to myself and followed my heart. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of people, regardless of their di- labels or disabilities, um, go on detours, uh, unnecessary detours that, you know, kind of loop around and they realize they're off the beaten path and they need to get back on the, the path that was made for them. So if we can just all stay true to our heart and realize again that nobody has life figured out, right? Like we're all living this life for the first time. And so let's be a little more aware of our personal ignorance and, and realize that our life may not ever match up with anybody else's life. So well said. Thank you so much for an amazing conversation yet again. Uh, Yeah, absolutely, Catherine. It's always a joy. Thank you. In today's world, there are so many conversations that can be polarizing. So it's not surprising that in the autism community, there are such strong feelings about the language we use. Something I really appreciate about this conversation with Russell is that in addition to sharing his truth and preferences about language, He encourages open and honest conversation with whomever we're talking to, knowing that none of us is going to do it perfectly all the time. But having these conversations about our different points of view is how we ultimately gain greater understanding. You can listen to our other episodes on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your podcasts. We appreciate your reviews and ratings if you're so inclined. If you have show ideas or a question for us, email us at allautismtalk at learnbehavioral.com or find us on Instagram or Facebook at at Autism Therapies. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time. We hope you've enjoyed today's episode of All Autism Talk. This podcast is brought to you by Learn Behavioral, the leading network of providers serving children with autism and other special needs. Visit us at learnbehavioral.com. Listen to previous episodes at allautismtalk.com on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. All Autism Talk, connecting the autism community one podcast at a time.